0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, April 1st, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Does a federal law that criminalizes inducing illegal immigration constitute an unconstitutional infringement on your free speech rights? Specifically, if you were to encourage a friend who is an illegal immigrant to stay in the country, is that a federal crime? The Supreme Court probed that question this week. Cato's Tommy Berry discusses the case. As a matter of law, Is there a well-explored literature on what it means legally to encourage someone
1: to do something illegal? It's a good question. And sadly, a lawyer will say, well, it depends if you're talking to a normal person or to a criminal lawyer, um, because a big part of the dispute in this case is what how are we to read this language like a normal everyday person reading a dictionary or as a term of art in criminal law. So in the history of criminal law, and this is the federal government's strongest uh, argument, really the only argument they have, they say, oh, this is a term of art uh encouraging or inducing, it's, it's basically like aiding and abetting. But if you look at the dictionary, encourage and induce goes far beyond, say, giving someone the means, giving someone the gun to help them commit the murder or something like that. Encouraging can simply say... I hope you stay in the country. I'd like to spend more time with you. Inducing can simply say, hey, you should be aware if you stay here, you'll get better medical care than if you go somewhere else. And when people only have a statute to go by and they're deciding, should I or should I not take this act? Will I be exposed to potential liability? They're more likely to simply look at a dictionary and try to decipher what these words mean. Characterize or or discuss what this case is. So this is a case about a federal criminal prohibition that uses these keywords. It says that it's a a felony in federal law to encourage or induce any violation of immigration law. And importantly, that could be both a criminal or even a civil violation of of immigration law, encouraging or inducing any of those. The statute itself does not define those words. It also does not use other words it could have used, like aid or a bit, which has a well-defined and narrower meaning. So what this this case is a facial challenge to those to this law, and what that means is that the particular person charged with a crime in this particular case there's no real dispute that what he did could be criminalized. He tricked a lot of people into thinking that he could through adult adoption, make them u s citizens when in fact he could not, and he knew that. But the point of a facial challenge is even if this prosecution might be okay, the law itself is so overbroad. the argument goes that you should be that the law should be struck down entirely, that it reaches way more legitimate protected speech than unprotected speech. Okay, so what do you expect to happen here? Well, there's an interesting and unusual historical wrinkle here, which is that this exact same issue, is this law overbroad, came to the Supreme Court three years ago in a case called Sinanang smith But the wrinkle there is that the parties themselves had not originally made a facial overbreadth challenge. They'd, They'd only challenged it in that particular application. The Ninth Circuit, on its own initiative, said, we think there might be a facial problem here. They invited several amicus curiae to... Uh, submit briefs making this argument, and they struck it down as facially overbroad. When it got to the Supreme Court, people thought we'd have a decision on the merits, but the Supreme Court didn't reach the merits. They said that was a problem, Ninth Circuit, when you asked for a uh, um, amicus to essentially argue the case instead of the party. So they sent it back and they said, you have to just focus on the case as the parties have framed it. So fast forward, here we are three years later. Now a party has, in fact, made that facial overbreadth challenge from the very beginning. So there's no dispute now that we are are going to reach the merits. But I would say that most likely, at least at every lower court to consider this issue, has essentially found that, yes, this is overbroad. They've had several persuasive arguments and hypotheticals about the types of things this could potentially reach, a grandmother telling her granddaughter she wants her to stay in the country with her, a doctor explaining how care is better in this country. And uh, in the Cato Institute, our brief uses some of those examples as well. Um, And even though the government's strongest argument is that, well, none of these prosecutions have actually happened, but the point of facial overbreath is that it's chilling, not just that people actually go to jail for it. that they avoid making these statements out of fear.
0: What is the difference? I'm sorry if this feels like a
1: law school exam at this point. What's the difference between overbroad and vague? It's a good question. So vague is more a notion of I can't tell for sure what this means, or it's essentially in the eye of the beholder. A classic vague statute might be no loitering, is loitering staying on the sidewalk for five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. It's whatever the cop essentially decides is loitering. So that's a classic vagueness. And the problem with vagueness is that each individual police or prosecutor can decide what the crime is on a case-by-case basis. Overbreadth is where the argument goes: no, there's no ambiguity about this language. It's just it just applies to a very wide range of cases that, in fact, if you look at the plain meaning, there's no doubt it does apply to the grandmother telling the granddaughter, I hope you stay here with me, or a lawyer saying, stay in the country one more week and I'll figure out your case. All of those things are giving someone uh, encouragement or giving someone some language that would tend to lead them to decide, maybe I should stay here a little bit longer, even if that's in violation of, of criminal law. And it's all of those uh, cases that are undisputed to be protected speech uh, that that create the problems here.
0: Yeah, for people who are engaged in uh, speech that could be construed either by dictionary or statute uh, to be encouragement of some criminal behavior. Um, you know what? I guess how do we assess the reasons that someone might want to provide that encouragement?
1: Yeah, this statute includes a sentence enhancement if you're doing it supposedly for financial gain. And that applied in this particular case. The person running this this scheme was getting people to pay him uh, for these so-called adult adoptions, thinking they would become citizens. And one of the government's main arguments is, oh, The question should really just be narrowed to only situations where this enhancement applies, because that's what happened here. And in our Cato brief, we had two responses to that. The first is, no, it shouldn't matter because it's only a sentence enhancement. This person and any person would still potentially go to jail, even if there was no sentence enhancement, even if there was no financial gain incentive. But then second, even take a look at cases where there might be a financial gain that still applies to a large amount of protected speech. You could have a doctor who's treating a patient who says whose Hippocratic oath requires them to be honest and say, you'll get the care you need here. I can't guarantee you'll get it if you go back uh, to a, to a, 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 your home country. You could have a situation again where a lawyer is saying, I think I can represent you. I think I can figure out your case, just stay one more week. Uh, And where again, a violation happens potentially for the lawyer to take this person as a client and have financial gain. So the mere exchange of dollars doesn't make speech non-protected anymore. And even if you're focusing on cases where there is financial gain, you're still encompassing a wide range of protected speech.
0: Tommy Berry is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.